0: So I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're actually going to end up covering 1 Thessalonians 1 verses uh, 2 through 5. I'm going to read that here in a minute, but we're going to cover that. We're also going to cover 1 Thessalonians 2:13, which is the call to worship. So you could flip that over real quick so you can see it. And then we're going to f- cover also 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 through 4, which Bill just read. So those are the three passages, and there's a reason for it. You'll see the connection as we get into the sermon and why it's important to cover all three of them. That and the fact we only have a few more Sundays during the Sunday evening for this season, and so I needed to speed up a little bit. So there you go. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me get there. Chapter 1, I'm going to go ahead and just start at verse 1... ...and we're going to read through the first part of verse 5... ...the part that goes all the way to a period there in verse 5... ...halfway through. So out of reverence for God's word as it is read... ...please join me by standing and hear God's word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... ...to the church of the Thessalonians... ...in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ... ...grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God Let's pray. Lord, we continue to saddle up next to Paul so that we can learn from him how to pray. May we receive your word and may it be at work in us. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. There, three points. So let me begin here with Solomon. Let me talk first about Solomon just a moment. Solomon... In Proverbs 11, verse 27, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27 announces, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Proverbs eleven twenty seven. 27. So as I've said rather emphatically in the past, you find what you're looking for. Right? That's the proverb. You find what you're looking for. You're diligently seeking good. Lo and behold, you'll seek, you'll find it. And you want to seek evil? It's coming, right? So you find what you're looking for. And a lot of times, people seek evil. They seek out what's bad about everybody else. What's bad about their kids? What's bad about their whoever, right? And, and you'll find it because there are sinners involved. You know what I mean? Right? You want to look for something bad? It's there, okay? But the flip side is true, too. You look for what's positive, you look for what's right, what's good. If you're really seeking it, you will find it. And I think that's really important. And I, you will see in the sermon, that's exactly what Paul was doing. He is looking for things to give thanks for. He is looking for things to give thanks for in this church. And lo and behold, he finds it, which is instructive in itself. So let me give you a little background to uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. You may remember the story. It's over in Acts 17. Paul and Silas have gone over to Macedonia. So they've gone from modern day Turkey. If this, is modern, if this is modern day, I can't do that. If this is modern day Turkey, they've gone across what is now modern Istanbul, and they've gone up into Macedonia where Philippi is. And back there, they then come down closer into Greece into a region called Thessaloniki. ...which is Thessalonica, or Thess, where the Thessalonians were. And while they're there, they're not there very long... ...and before you know it, up come uh, a, ra- a group of Jews... ...who want to cause trouble, and they want to cause physical trouble... ...they want to chase Paul and Silas out of uh, Thessalonica... ...and so they rally the troops, they get a posse together, so to speak... And they charge down and they run Paul out of town. Paul was not there maybe more than six weeks to three months. It's a young baby church. It's still in diapers. That kind of a church. I mean, it's young. So Paul has to leave and he goes down, gets down to Athens and he's worried. The, 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 the apostle who, who says in Philippians chapter 3, be anxious for nothing, is anxious. I love that connection there. But he's anxious for the church at Thessalonica. He's really worried. And so he sends Timothy to go back, or Titus, and he he sends him back to Thessalonica to find out if the church is doing okay. And he's pacing the floor, and he's chewing his nails, waiting until the report comes back. And the report he gets is that this church is holding the line, it's being faithful, it's being sturdy, and and is standing even when there's some opposition. And so he's relieved. He's so relieved. When you get to chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, He says, you are my joy. When I I finally stand before Jesus, you will be my joy and my glory. It's really touching language. Paul really, like a mother caring for her baby, he really loved this church. And so, that's the backdrop. And so therefore, Paul is excited. He has loads of reasons, as I said, to be concerned for them... But when the report comes back, he cannot help himself but to be thankful. And he's thankful there's three things, okay? We'll get into 2 Thessalonians in a minute. But he's thankful for three things. He's thankful for signs of life. He's thankful for signs of life. That's number one. Number two, he's thankful for signs of loyalty. That's number two. And then number three in 2 Thessalonians, he's thankful for signs of longevity. Longevity. So there's the three points And he is thankful for those things. So let's begin then with signs of life. And it's right here in our reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, specifically as you get down to verses 2 through the first part of verse 5. First off, Paul is back at his persistent tenacity in his praying for others. Notice how he puts it. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly... Mentioning you in our prayers. I'm going to say this again. Paul will model what he is going to call these churches to. And so, sure enough, you get to 1 Thessalonians 5 and you get down at around verse, um, verse uh, 18 or 16 rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Chapter 5, 16, he's modeled it in chapter 1, I pray without ceasing for you. And so you, in the letter, you do the same thing. He models for them the very thing he's going to call them to do, pray without ceasing. My friends, there's Paul back at it again, praying persistently and tenaciously. If we get anything out of this series, and I hope you get lots of things. If you don't, I'm getting a ton. But I hope you're getting something out of this. But if you get anything else out of this series, Learning to pray with Paul means learning to pray with persistence and pray with tenacity as you pray for others. That is lesson number one. It comes up in almost every one of Paul's prayers. I never cease to remember you and pray for you. And that kind of makes us go, oh, yeah, I should be persistent too. Yes, we should be. Okay, don't get, don't feel shame and you shut down with shame and everything. Just say, yeah. I should be, and so go do it, okay? There you go. That's lesson number one. Everybody should have that down. But then Paul moves into his prayer, and notice his prayer is a joyful, grateful memory. He is thankful for signs of life. He is thankful for signs of real life. Remembering before God, notice the three traits. Remembering for our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love, ...love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, a part, an important part of our praying... ...is remembering for the purpose of thanking God for signs of life. One of the important things to do is we, we realize when we're praying... ...we want to be grateful when we see signs of life... ...because we know who gave that life. Who gave that life? Yeah, by grace alone. We can be, there's lots we can be grateful for... And that's what we should always keep in mind as an important part of our praying. Now you'll notice he's looking at the trivium again. We're back to that trivium. He mentions the the work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope again, right? So there we are. We're back to that trivium. He brought it up in Colossians 1. He brought it up over in Ephesians. This is going to be a big, this is an important theme. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. He didn't write those for us to do cross-stitching and frame them and stick them on our walls, and that's what it's for. And there's nothing wrong with that. He wrote that because these are the meat and muscle and bone structure of our Christian faith. And so notice what he looks for when he's gunning to see if there's signs of life. He's looking for faith, Love and hope. That should probably change our perspective as we look for signs of life. Looking for that trivium is really important. And notice that each of these virtues are active. How do you know? Well, look at the first part of it. Work of faith. Right, and you remember James. James chapter 2. I dare you. Come on. Show me your faith without works. huh? Right? No, instead, I'll show you my faith by my work. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith is right when it says we are put on God's good side through Jesus. We're justified by faith alone. But that faith is never alone, but worketh by love. And there they're quoting Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. Faith that works by love. So it's very fitting. Paul sees this faith is alive. It's working, the work of faith. But notice the next trait. The activeness, labor of love. My friends, if you didn't know this because you've been watching too many Disney movies, love is laborious. You moms know that when you change those messy diapers. You know what I'm saying? When those kids got ear infections and they got sick and threw up everywhere, you know labor of love. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, you don't have a warm feeling at that moment. Did you, did you have a warm feeling at those moments? No, you did not have a warm feeling. At 2 in the morning, you did not have any warm feelings at all. Right? But you did it because you loved. It was a labor. It was laborious. It takes work. Because we live in a world that doesn't want to love. Since Genesis 3, we do not we have broken love. When 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 God comes to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? Well, I was hiding from you because, you know, it was bad. Really, what's going on? Well, the woman you gave me. Does that sound like love, y'all? No. So Genesis 3, love has been broken. We find real doing real love hard. It's a labor. And so he's delighted he sees this labor of love, that their love is active. And then notice that last one steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Steadfastness, weathering the storms, pushing hard against a culture that's pushing hard against us. That's a labor. You may not be moving anywhere. But being steadfast as things come at you, that's hard work. And so notice how that the, this trivium, they're active. Each one of these is active. Here's how Tony Evans puts it. And I think this quote is in your sermon notes. Tony Evans is a, um, the founding pastor down at Oak Cliff Bible Church. He's a, a, he's a black pastor at this Bible church. He's been there for 100 decades. I remember as a young Christian listening to him, and it was great. And so he has a book that's uh, the Tony Evans Bible Commentary. And he puts it this way, understand these are not merely feelings. You have a working faith, a laboring love, and an enduring hope. What will distinguish you, I hope you're listening, what will distinguish you in a cold and different world is not how many Bible verses you quote. And I'm going to add to that, not how many catechism questions you can respond to and answer for memory, etc., what will distinguish you from a cold and indifferent world is not how many Bible verses you could quote or how intense your emotions are, but how you tangibly serve others with your faith and hope and love. And that's what Paul sees as signs of life and he is tickled pink. He gives the thanks to God for those signs of life. But notice that undergirding and fortifying these traits, these signs of life, is the powerful gospel. And I want you to know as I'm going to quote these verses, um, these were the verses I quoted at Ben's funeral. And So if I start crying, look the other way. For you know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, ...and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Notice how the gospel undergirds. And with the gospel, the blessing of Christ... ...and the working of the Spirit undergirds those three virtues... ...faith and love and hope. And so Paul is prayerfully thankful for these signs of life... ...that are spawned by the God of life... ...through the gospel of life... ...empowered by the Spirit of life. So dear friends as we learn to pray with Paul, let us look for signs of life in those we are praying for. And let us pray. Let us pray for signs of life in them. That they would exhibit and continue to exhibit the work of faith and a labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we do see it, and God is good and you will see it in in them, and when we do see it, let us give thanks for it, uh, for it, knowing that it is God who has mightily made it happen. I think that's extremely important. Right? As we pray for our adult kids, as we pray for our aging fathers and mothers, as we pray for each other, as we pray for other Christians that we know, you, you, hopefully you're coming away with this and you're going, wow, I've got things I can actually pray about. Things that really are substantive. And I know that these things are the heart of God how do you know that these things are the heart of God? Because he made sure they were recorded in Scripture... ...inspired infallibly for you to guide you in prayer. So after this, Paul then moves on throughout this letter... ...and he comes back around to another prayerful Thanksgiving... ...and it's there in chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. And he's thankful for signs of loyalty. So chapter 2, 13... We also thank God, how often? Constantly. Oh, we're back at it again. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Notice he's thankful for the signs of loyalty as we already pointed out Paul is still persistent and tenacious and we thank God constantly for this lesson number 1 once more and very clearly Paul lists this reason why he's thankful as he prays for these believers he's he he really is thankful and it has to do with their loyalty but notice it's the loyalty they have by holding to the word of Jesus that has come through the apostles the handpicked spokesman. In other words, they did not sit around in a group and recall Jesus' words through Paul and then ask one another in a group, well, what do you think those words mean to you? That's not the questions they were asking. They clearly asked these questions. What does God want for you? This is the word of God for you. He's not asking your opinion. What does he want For you. What does God want from you? Those are the questions they're asking. And so they took Jesus' words through Paul seriously. And he's elated. Because that's loyalty. It's a sign of loyalty. So notice that they did not interact with God's words as if it were some high-priced advice from a Dr. Wayne Dreyer or Tony Robbins or Brene Brown. Which is fine, you can listen to those, I'm not poo-pooing them. But those, that's advice, and you know it, because as soon as you listen to it, you often just remember a few things and discard the rest. Well, that, that won't work for me, and you just discard it. That's what you do with advice, you pick and choose. That's advice, you pick and choose from advice. But they didn't treat God's word like it was high-priced advice. Instead, Paul says, as he's giving thanks, they received. And that Greek word is paralabantes. It means they have taken. They have taken along. They have welcomed. They have embraced the word of God. They took it. They embraced it with both arms. And they carried it with them as they began to walk through life. They received the word of God. That's pretty big. The word that they heard especially and specifically through Paul he says. Notice they treated God's word as Moses directed so this is over in Deuteronomy, if you're writing notes. Deuteronomy 32, verse 46 and 47. Here's what Moses directed God's people. Take to heart all the words. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today. For it is no empty word, but your very life. And by this word you shall live in the land of That you are going over to the Jordan to possess. Notice that. It's no empty word. It is your life. That's how they received the word of God. The word of Jesus through the apostles. They received it as no empty word but your very life. They embraced it for what it was. God's own words to them. A word that is even at work in them. Did you notice that at the end of the verse? Which is at work in you believers, right? It was at work in them. The word was at work in them. Oh, signs of loyalty. Yes, it was at work in them. um, At work in them. And then you think about what we read back in chapter 1, verse verse, uh, 4 and 5, and you realize what he means by that. It was at work with them, not only by word, but also by power of the Holy Spirit and full conviction. It was at work in them. Praise God. And so Paul is grateful that they are loyal. Therefore, dear friends, we should keep an eye out for loyalty in those that we're praying for. And let us pray. Let us pray that loyalty, that that loyalty would thrive and that they would really, those who are praying for, that they really would receive the word of God. Not as an empty word, but as their life. Especially the word heard how Paul puts it here. The word which you received from us, that you heard from us. Especially even as it is preached and proclaimed and taught. And that they would receive it as God's word and not the opinion of any man. And anybody remembers the Rich Mullen songs? I just stole that line from that Rich Mullen song there. It's the word of God and not the opinion of any man. That they would come to grasp this word as no empty word but their very life. And that it would mightily work in them in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And then when we see this, because the God that we're praying to will make it happen, then when we see this loyalty blossoming, let's give thanks. Let's give mighty thanks for this loyalty. And so then after some months, it was probably about six months and many miles later as Paul is continuing his travels and going through other difficulties, Paul pens a second letter and that's 2 Thessalonians. So we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the passage that Bill read. And you will notice again that Paul rejoices in their signs of longevity. It's some months later and they're still pursuing and persisting They're still growing. They're still moving in the right direction. And he gives thanks for signs of longevity. And so let me read again 2 Thessalonians 1, starting at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And then he will go on in the rest of chapter 1 and he will talk about their persecutions, the afflictions they're bearing and how Jesus will come and do something about that someday. But anyways... So notice in those verses, he gives thanks for signs of loyalty. Now verse 2 is a little prayer in and of itself. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just have to say this because it keeps popping up. Most of Paul's letters begin with a short prayer like that one. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And honestly, that is not a bad place to start when you're praying. It's not a bad place to start when you're praying. You think about people you're praying for. You're praying for your spouse. May grace be to him or her and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give them more grace. Give them more peace from you, O Father, through Jesus Christ. It's a great place to begin. If you want to know where to begin, start there. Whenever you're stumbling, trying to figure out what do I pray for, why not start with grace and peace from God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Great place to start. But then notice that Paul moves on and he lands on their signs of longevity. And he starts with an ought statement. An ought of his persistence and tenacity. This is not, he's not chiding himself. He's not saying I failed at this. This is actually a rhetorical way of saying I'm doing this and it was the right thing to do. Right, so we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers. Three words. As is what? ...right, as is right. This ought talk is more of his rationale... ...for why he persistently and tenaciously prays for them... ...because Paul wants to absorb them into his pattern of prayer... ...which is right. Now the reason he rightly gives thanks for them... ...is because your faith is growing abundantly... ...and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing... So notice their faith, their faith is growing and their love is increasing. Notice it's not a flash in the pan, it's not a fly-by-night faith and love. It's got some time behind it, right? It's already shown itself to be growing over this last six months or eight months or however long it was between first, the first letter and the second letter. And so it has a track record, it has some longevity, so it's not, a, just, not just like, you know like a momentary emotional faith and love, and then it's over, right? It's, it's got some longevity. He's grateful. Now, first off, their faith is growing. It says it's growing abundantly, which is important. Because when you look at verse, verse 4, you'll see why he's grateful they have this longevity in their faith. We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in ...all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are do, enduring. That faith that is growing and alive, that's growing abundantly... ...is the faith that will carry them through... ...all the way through their persecutions and their afflictions. That's why, part of why he is grateful... ...that they have this longevity in their faith and then in their love. But then, So then we're at love. Notice love. What does he say about love? That love of every one of you for one another. Oh, my goodness. Maybe Mike Philber's right. We're back at it again. Paul will not leave love for one another alone. You've heard me say it. You'll hear me say it. I just got done over at at Album where Fred and CJ are and they had this little church and He asked me to preach through John 15, and there's Jesus saying it three or four times in John 15 when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He talks about it. He says, look, you're supposed to love one another. You need to love one another just as I have loved you. It is a top drawer issue and theme throughout the New Testament, not to the exclusion of those other things, but it's right up there with things like justification. It's right up there with things like penal substitutionary atonement. It's that significant. You can't miss it because Paul won't let it go. Look at what he says. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, I'm so grateful that your faith is abounding and that your theological prowess is really getting sharper and and sturdier and stodgier. Does he say that? No. That your love for one another, that it's increasing. Now that's a reason to give thanks, y'all. That's what he's saying, right? So it's a top drawer issue. We know that because Jesus said it. John 13, you've heard me quote it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. He says that, by the way, again in John 15 and verse 12. So he says it twice in John. So there we are, back at this theme. So love here is for one another, is not a one-time warm feeling. He's delighted because he sees it going on and on and on. And so love, this love, this Christian love for one another is a lifelong, lifelong series of sentiment and actions and, think about this morning's sermon, Colossians 3, and forgiveness and service. It's a lifelong commitment to one another in that way. And so notice then that it is faith, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, faith that reaches upward and love that reaches outward. Yeah, we are supposed to love God, but notice that Paul's emphasizing this love, love that reaches outward. So, so to keep you awake a little longer, I want you to do hand motions with me. And I want you to say the words with me. Faith reaches upward. Say it. Faith reaches upwards. All right, let's try that again. Faith reaches upwards, love reaches outwards. Okay, let's do it again. Faith reaches upwards, love reaches outwards. You can't miss it right there in 2 Thessalonians, right? Okay. And so, beloved of God, we should always be on the hunt. Anybody remember Elmer Fudd? Shh, I'm hunting wabbits. We should always be hunting wabbits. We should always be on the hunt for signs of longevity... ...for those for whom we are praying. And we should persistently and tenaciously... ...because it is right... ...pray that they will always show... ...growing, abundant faith that reaches where? Upward. And an increasing tenacious love that reaches where? Outward. Very good. You get a gold star. Good job. And that's exactly right. We should always be praying for that... And then when we see those signs of longevity, we should shout for the blessed Jesus reigns. And we should lift up our voices in rich thanksgiving. And so then, my friends, what should we be doing? Let's tidy this up very quickly. One thing we should be doing is persistently and tenaciously praying for others. Lesson one. But also, we should be looking for signs of life instead of looking for reasons to doubt other people's faith. We should be looking for signs of life. We should be looking for signs of loyalty in others instead of moral compromise and infidelity. You'll find it. It's a dime a dozen, the moral failures and infidelity. Who here has not stumbled? Don't say anything, please. Don't say anything. ...but all of us have, right? You want to, somebody wants to look for it, they will find it. But instead, we ought to be looking for signs of loyalty in others. We also should be looking for signs of longevity... ...instead of expecting and fearing... ...that their faith and love will only be momentary. We should be looking for signs of longevity. And further, we need to pray. Pray for these traits. Pray for these traits in each of your children whether they're still at home or they've moved on in adulthood or whatever, pray for these traits in your spouse. Pray for these traits in your church. Pray for these traits in your presbytery. Pray for these traits in your denomination and beyond. And then when you see them, when you see those traits, and they're there because the God you pray to makes them happen, brings them about, then give thanks and give thanks often. Quit being an Eeyore. Presbyterians are good Eeyores. We're good Eeyores. Right? I'm not telling you to be a piglet, all right, you know. Woo! I mean a, a tigger. But 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 they're there. And so give thanks and give thanks often when you see them, because Paul says it is right. So we're learning to pray with Paul. Let's pray. Oh well, Lord God, we are so grateful for your servant, Paul, who is showing us how to pray, showing us filled with the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, whose words, whose words are inspired and infallible, whose words are the final rule of faith and life. So Lord, we are grateful for this example, and we pray that we ask you, we beg you to help us, that we too would begin to look to be thankful for signs of life... to, be, to look for and be thankful um, for signs of loyalty... to look for and be thankful for signs of longevity. We pray for one another. Oh Lord, may we, embracing your word... with both arms and with a whole heart... may we keep your word happily... knowing it is no empty word, but it is our life. And may we, together... Flourish, thrive, muscle up, build up, grow up together in a work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, hear our prayer and let our cry come unto you. Amen.